true believers. Hope you're having a lovely morning, afternoon, whatever. Mm. I know I always day drink during these things, but you're just going to have to trust that there's a white Russian in my Doc Savage mug, which was provided by the lovely fellows who produce uh, the Bronze Gazette. Doc Savage will be the topic of today, and we got a lot to cover. So, uh, Doc Savage. When I was a kid, well, let's go further back. When my dad was a kid, pulp magazines, Doc Savage. Sort of the first pulp superhero that gained any kind of traction and inspired all the imitators, including a certain man of steel who was preceded by a man of bronze, Clark Savage, who uh, had a fortress of solitude at the North Pole. He had all of Batman's gadgets before that was a real thing. When I was a kid, my dad collected the stuff that he had read when he was a kid in paperback form. These amazing, iconic covers by James Bama. Doc had kind of a crazy haircut in these covers. Dent had described him having, Lester Dent, the author who wrote under the name uh, Kenneth Robeson, had described him as sort of having a helmet of hair. I don't, I don't know that that's what he meant, but because uh, on the Dent covers, Doc has a nice head of uh, bronze hair. I think that's supposed to be, yeah, I think that's him. Hair to one side. And I will say, I, I wrote a Doc Savage thing called Doc Savage Ring of Fire, and uh, Doc's hair was literally the first thing that we talked about, me and the artist, how to, how to satisfy the fans of all of the periods of the character. But to get back to, Doc was a superhero who came through in 1933. There are some turn-of-the-century scientific ideas some ideas that were still very popular by the 1930s about breeding the perfect man. Remember how that kind of went wrong? But at this point, there was sort of a, an innocence to it, and Doc was called the Superman in some of the early uh, ads. And again, this is five years before Kal-El's rocket crashes in Kansas in 1938. The thing about Doc to me, when I wrote it, is that he comes out of that interwar time. And I'm going to actually read something of mine, because I really wanted people to think about, in my story, it's the late 30s, and the Second World War is looming over everything, and the First World War is kind of also looming over everything. It's, it's, a, it's a part of people's experience and what's on their minds. So to set all that up, this is what I wrote. It was a time of unspeakable evil and a time of incorruptible heroes. The world danced on the precipice of apocalypse and into the dawn of a new epoch of wonders. Fascism and democracy were slowly rising to meet one another in the greatest clash history had ever known. It was the crucible of mankind, and all would be judged. It was an age of dreams and an age of nightmares. It was the time of Doc Savage. For today, what I want to read is from the very first page. As you know, I'm a sucker for good openings. Good opening lines, what my father called the narrative hook. So let's start with The Man of Bronze. This is the writing that inspired my father to be a writer. There was death afoot in the darkness. It crept furtively along a steel girder. Hundreds of feet below yawned glass and brick-walled cracks, New York streets. Down there, late workers scurried homeward. Most of them carried umbrellas and did not glance upward. Even had they looked, they probably would have noticed nothing. The night was black as a cave bat. 
Rain threshed down monotonously. The clammy sky was like an oppressive shroud wrapped around the tops of the tall buildings. One skyscraper was under construction. It had been completed to the 80th floor. Some offices were in use. Above the 80th floor, an ornamental tower jutted up a full 150 feet more. The metalwork of this was in place, but no masonry had been laid. Girders lifted a gigantic steel skeleton. The naked beams were a sinister forest. It was in this forest that death prowled. Death was a man. He seemed to have the adroitness of a cat at finding his way in the dark. Upward he crept. The girders were slick with rain, treacherous. The man's progress was gruesome in its vile purpose. From time to time he spat strange, clucking words, a gibberish of hate. A master of languages would have been baffled trying to name the tongue the man spoke. A profound student might have identified the dialect. The knowledge would have been hard to believe. For the words were of a lost race, the language of civilization long vanished. He must die, the man chanted hoarsely in his strange lingo. It is decreed by the son of the feathered serpent. Tonight, tonight death shall strike. Each time he raved his pan of hate, the man hugged an object he carried closer to his chest. That object was a box, black, leather-covered. It was about four inches deep and four feet long. This shall bring death to him, the man clucked, caressing the black case. The rain beat him. Steel-fanged space gaped below. One slip would be his death. He climbed upward, yard after yard. Most of the chimneys, which New Yorkers call office buildings, had been emptied of their daily toilers. There were only occasional pale eyes of light gleaming from their sides. The labyrinth of girders baffled the skulker a moment. He poked a flashlight beam inquisitively. The glow lasted a bare instant, but it disclosed a remarkable thing about the man's hands. The fingertips were a brilliant red. They might have been dipped an inch of their length in a scarlet dye. The red-fingered man scuttled onto a workman's platform. The planks were thick. The platform was near the outside of the wilderness of steel. The man lowered his black case. His inner pocket disgorged compact, powerful binoculars. On the lowermost floor of a skyscraper many blocks distant, the crimson-fingered man focused his glasses. He started counting stories upward. The building was one of the tallest in New York, a gleaming spike of steel and brick. It rammed upward nearly a hundred stories. At the 86th floor, the sinister man ceased to count. His glasses moved right and left until they found a lighted window. This was at the west corner of the building. Only slightly blurred by the rain, the powerful binoculars disclosed what was in the room. The broad, polished top of a massive and exquisitely inlaid table stood directly before the window. Beyond it was the bronze figure. This looked like the head and shoulders of a man, sculpted in hard bronze. It was a startling sight, that bronze bust. The lines of the features, the unusually high forehead, the mobile and muscular but not too full mouth, the lean cheeks denoted a power of character seldom seen. The bronze of the hair was a little darker than the bronze of the features. The hair was straight and lay down tightly as a metal skullcap. A genius at sculptor, sculpture might have made it. Most marvelous of all were the eyes. They glittered like pools of flake gold when little lights from the table lamp played on them. Even from that distance, they seemed to exert a hypnotic influence through the powerful binocular lenses, a quality that would cause the most rash individual to hesitate. The man with the scarlet-tipped fingers shuddered. Death, he croaked, as if seeking to overcome the unnerving quality of those strange golden eyes. The son of the feathered serpent has commanded it shall be death. He opened the black box. Faint metallic clicking sounded as he fitted together parts of the thing he held. 
After that, he ran his fingers lovingly over the object. The tool of the son of the feathered serpent, he chortled. It shall deliver death. Once more, he pressed the binoculars to his eyes and focused them on the amazing bronze statue. The bronze masterpiece opened its mouth, yawned. For it was no statue, but a living man. And that is how we meet Doc Savage in his first magazine. Uh, before he starts ripping up his uh, beautiful khaki military shirts like the one I'm wearing. Uh, in looking over all the Doc Savage stuff I had in the house, I had a bunch of the reprints. Uh, there's a recent series of recent reprints by Nostalgia Ventures that uh, have two of the magazines each in them, but also had some of the original magazines. And I was looking through those, and I was looking at the May 1942 issue that I have, and... Uh, I happened to glance back towards the end, and there was a there was a letter in the letter column that I that I liked. I thought I would read it to you. Monk's Oratory, it's called. Having remained a Doc Savage fan over a period of years since the introduction of Mr. Robeson's classic figure, I feel duty bound to herein make my sentiments regarding the bronze man known. Here's the helicopter I ordered. Mr. Robeson is the writer without peer in his field. His punchy graphic style, which augments every yarn in which his fabulous heroes move, has provided me with such a generous amount of entertainment that no written words could do justice to my feelings. Suffice to say that the creation of the Doc Savage Band of Adventurers is matchless in the history of adventurous fiction, and as such has proved the key to the doors of reading pleasure. I would like to salute the author for Monk's superb bit of oratory in the recent Peril in the North. It was brilliantly expressive of the group's aims and couched in the words of a man of actions. So touching it moved even the mighty Doc. I close now on a note of gratitude and sincere appreciation. Ever a savage follower, Michael Avalone, 890 East 176th Street, New York, New York. So I found Dad's letter to the editor to, uh, to Doc Savage Magazine. I'm going to close with... Doc had a Doc had a code that was printed in the back of the magazine sometimes. This is kind of the basis for the code of ethics of maybe every superhero that followed him. Let me strive every moment of my life to make myself better and better to the best of my ability that all may profit by it. Let me think of the right and lend all my assistance to those who need it with no regard for anything but justice. Let me take what comes with a smile, without loss of courage. Let me be considerate of my country, of my fellow citizens, and my associates in everything I say and do. Let me do right to all, and wrong no man. Not easy to live by, but that's why he's Doc Savage and we're mere mortals. That's Pulp Today. Read some Doc Savage, it's fun stuff. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.